Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. All right. Well, let's get started. We uh, have been into, I guess you could say, some uh, really the deep things of God as we talked about God and the Trinity uh, last week. And uh, when, when you look at that, of course, um, we, when we look at the, the confessions, they definitely include the Trinity. It's, uh, of course, that's a major part of God. And, uh, of course, it's defined throughout the church um, through creeds and through confessions as um, being one God. There's one being and three persons. But if uh, somebody were to come up to you and say that they were a Jehovah's Witness and they'd say, well, can you tell me about the Trinity then? Where is it at in the Bible? Of course, the word is not in the Bible, Trinity. But we have scriptures all over uh, to show that there is a trinity, but the thing is, how can you show them without going through all the scripture, right? And But yet it still doesn't say one being or one substance, one essence, and three persons. Even though there are three persons, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We know where we have the Son praying to the Father, and uh, those are obvious ones to us. But this is why it has to be defined and put in a way that, uh, that helps us, uh, at, least, at least the church, if, if nobody else, of saying there are three persons there. And, uh, of course, it, it took some uh, philosophers, it took some um, men doing some uh, pretty heavy thinking, going through Scripture, and then the godly men coming up with at the councils. And then, of course, the Westminster Confession embraces that and shows that this is what we believe in. But uh, would we have been able to come up with that on our own? Well, sure, God's uh, one being and, and he's three persons. Uh, the early church probably had difficulty defining that. And that's one of the reasons why we have um, uh, confessions, creeds, some kind of foundation. Uh, it's like a constitution, and it wraps it up really quick what we believe. And uh, that's, that's important. We just don't want somebody coming up to us and say, well, that's what my church teaches. That's what the church believes. You know, we want to be able to tell them, hey, this is not just what my pastor says. This is what I believe because this is what Scripture says, and here's why. And, uh, you know, know what you believe and why you believe it, right? So anyway, uh, that is a very deep subject, and we went into quite some detail of how that arrived um, but um, it's, it's part of that confession of faith, and whenever they came up with that, they too uh, fell in line with the historical church. Uh, what we move into tonight is uh, another very deep subject, uh, one of the deepest subjects uh, about the, the person of God, and it's his decrees. And we've been talking about the Holy Scripture and then um, who God is, and now we get into the place where people come into play in this. His creation, where uh, he brings forth his decrees, you will also find creation uh, involved in that. 
And uh, when you speak of almost all of these things that are in the Westminster Confession, it is of the Reformed faith. If you haven't noticed that by now, you, you will as you go through it because everything there is steeped with Scripture that deals with uh, an absolute, holy, sovereign, grace-filled uh, God. And so anyway, that's, that's what um, that we, we see as we go through this. Um, and you can say, well, the eternal decrees, that's such a strange-sounding subject. You don't hear this uh, except for Reformed churches. Uh, at least, I don't know of any other places that would bring forth the eternal decrees of God. Uh, why was this in the confession? and Why is it so up near the, the front of it? Well, for one reason, I think um, the people who uh, drew up this confession, uh, those Westminster divines, knew there were semi-Pelagians around. Uh, of course, the Catholic Church was semi-Pelagian, and so is most uh, thoughts of people. Uh, that's just natural, to be semi-Pelagian or later on, not going to be with, within the next century, you're going to be hearing of Arminius and the Arminians who took on that basically same kind of theology. And so God's decrees uh, are going to be dealing with him. Uh, here's a good way to define it. Um, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, or his eternal purpose, his purpose, according to the counsel of his will, according to the, the divine councils, the triune God, we talked about the Trinity, it's like the triune God comes together in, in a council, in wisdom, uh, counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And that is uh, one sentence that is just power-packed, but I'll read it again. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will. Most of this comes right out of Ephesians 1. Yeah. According to his will, that, that this is what he came up with. <laughs> For his own glory, and of course this last phrase really gets it, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Whatever comes to pass, he has foreordained that. It's an incredible thought. Yeah, there's no accidents, no mistakes. Uh, the word decree, you can see the word decree found in Psalm 2, verse 7. Now we're going to be going through a lot of scripture tonight, so I'll, I'll be turning and, and reading rather quickly. Uh, 2 7 says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, and today I have begotten you. There's Jesus speaking uh, in, in, in the book of Psalms. Uh, this is the Son of God. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, uh, His eternal purpose. That's His will uh, foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Uh, if you turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, of course, there's a lot in Ephesians. We know that. A lot in Romans 9. But there are verses all over. Verse 11, Ephesians 3 says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the eternal purpose. Of course, that's highly related to um, the decrees of God. Um, in um, Ephesians 1, 9, 
chapter 1, matter of fact, chapter 1 starting at around verse 5 on through is all about his eternal decrees, his plan. Uh, verse 9 says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. Um, verse 11, Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. So some of that definition that we had, we see right here in Ephesians 1, don't we? Um, that's why I, I think Ephesians, just, just one chapter, is so packed. In one chapter, how God can get the idea of his will and uh, his pleasure and, and uh, to do it in just a few uh, amount of verses. If you turn to Acts 2.23, you'll see again... Uh, his purpose, his plan, his predestination, his predetermining. Uh, Acts 2.23, this is speaking of Christ. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. A rather amazing verse because it shows what God's plan was but yet it was men, evil men who delivered him up but yet it was God who had this plan it was predetermined it was predestined uh, uh foreknowledge is dealing with gnosis and it's a, a, a relationship an intimate relationship even with b beforehand he knew us knew personally, it's not talking about an object, but people. When we talk about foreknowledge, it's not just saying he knew beforehand. And that's another reason why this is addressed by the Westminster Confession. When we read it here in a moment, um, that will probably help. But a lot of people will say, well, he looked down the corridors of time, and based upon what the people did, he then chose them because they chose him. And that is not biblical. It is not in connection with the early uh, the, the confessions here, maybe even some creeds, but creeds are really small and they don't usually get down to any kind of depth like this. But this is something that goes back to, of course, Scripture or definitely uh, Augustine um, who, who battled um, the, the Pelagius and, and that kind of thought. Uh, a man-centered view says, yeah, uh, see, I chose God. God foreknew that. He knew I was going to choose Him, so then He chose me. That is never in Scripture. And so uh, that's why this was probably one of the reasons why this was put in uh, where it was put at and uh, why it's so valuable, This uh, the, the eternal decrees. Uh, we battle it all the time in, uh, in uh, the body of Christ today as most... Uh, would not see this eternal decree in, the, in this sense. Uh, the counsel of his own will, Ephesians 1.11, everything is foreordained before time. God's purpose was concerned with everything. I mean everything. Small, big, good, evil. Uh, and, and, and when we talk about evil there, God does not author sin but he does control it. Uh, he's the orderer of it. Uh, he's, he's the author of good. He's, uh, you know, he, he cannot sin. He will not tempt anybody to sin. James chapter 1. 
and uh, but there is a decorative permission and negative uh, action that comes out and uh, anyway his foreknowledge his plan and everything that he has is dealing with all creatures all events and that's a rather incredible thing. How big is God if he's involved in every little detail? What did you say? Decorative? What did you say? Decorative. Uh, that, D-E-C-R-E-T-I-V or decree. Oh, it's, decorative. It derives, yeah, it sounds like a decorative, doesn't it? I knew I'd run into a problem saying that and getting it out. God not only is interested in the government, his government over all the world, but he is concerned about our life, our death. He is concerned about time that we live in because he created time, uh, our state and eternity, all those things he's concerned with. So he works all things after the counsel of his own will, and we learn from his works. His, his counsel is always wise, it's always good. Jonathan Edwards had something to say about the people um, saying uh, or having um, a, a skewed view on, on uh, eternal foreknowledge. Um, there are objections to the eternal decrees of God. A lot of people say, I don't want that kind of God. And this is what Jonathan Edwards says about that. Whether God has decreed all things that ever come to pass or not, all that own the being of a God, that's saying all who believe in a God or, or God, all that believe that, they, it says, own that he knows all things beforehand. That means they will say, yeah, he knows all things beforehand. I think any Christian should, should be able to say that that he knows all things. Of course, their thought is, yeah, he knows it because he can look down and, and see what, what happened later on in the future. And then he says this. Now, and this is where he gets just a, a good philosophy. It's it just good, rational thinking here. Now, it is self-evident that if he knows all things beforehand, and Christians would say, yeah, he does, he either does approve of them or does not approve of them. Right? God can approve of them or not approve them. Would most Christians say, yeah, that's right. And then the next phrase, he says, he either is willing they should be or he's not willing they should be. Make sense so far? But to will that they should be is to decree them. So whichever way that he goes, that's his decree. That's what he did. And so a lot of people really get turned off about the decrees of God. He's in too much control. He has too much free will. I think, I think a lot of the reason for that is that they don't they see God as if he's a really that all-being. Um, they don't really see a, the devil as who he is and how he plays a role. Because I think they think that because God is who he is, why does he allow for evil to take place? And they don't really look at evil as him. Well, evil doesn't come from God. God knows where evil comes from, and He told us where evil comes from, from sin, and Satan is the king of sinners, you know. And uh, it comes from Him, because He is in the hearts of men, you know, wickedness, sin. So I, I don't think that they ever really turn and say, well, you know, evil comes because of our sin, and because the devil is here. And I think they just kind of block that part out. That's why I think there's such a big separation between it 
when they try to discuss God's sovereignty, because you know, in order to be saved, we must be sinners. Well, one of the, one of the questions, uh, like on Larry King, for instance, whenever he had that panel, he said, "If God is all good, why does He allow evil or suffering?" And that's that's the overarching question. It's, it's not uh, it's not who's to blame. It's, looking at God and going okay like if there has to be you know we want to enjoy you God but why did you uh, will or why did he allow us to yeah why, why did you think this was good <laughs> why was there the fall could he kept could he have kept the fall from happening well, well if God right. is God he could have yeah. so therefore did he decree the fall we're not saying author it but did he decree it? Yeah. Because if he didn't, then he's not in control. Something happened. Oh, what do I do now? And that's not God. So, he, he has freedom. He has perfect liberty, doesn't he? Um, and we see two perfections of God. Back in Ephesians 2.11. We're still just setting this up. Um, no, Ephesians 1.11, I'm sorry. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And we see that he takes pleasure in this, doesn't he? And, and so there are two perfections in God when, when we speak about this and, and his freedom that he has to do what he wants to do. His plan and his good pleasure. His plan, his good pleasure. God's wisdom is seen in his plan. We can have plans, maybe some pretty good ideas, but may not always be with the greatest wisdom, right? Um, in our minds, a plan is necessary uh, in, in, in as far as a, degree is con, a decree is concerned. It's a deliberation. When people deliberate, we've already talked about the triune God. So if we can put it in a, in a way that we as humans can understand, the triune God is like before the time happened, uh, deliberated. They discussed the matters of, of how this would uh, go about. You remember in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, right? Let us. There you have um, the divine... Trinity. Uh, there you have the different persons in the Godhead speaking there. And, and this is all before the ages, right? So anyway, um, it's pretty heavy when you start thinking about, you know, there's God speaking to himself these wise and great things. But all this took place before there was ever the existence of any human beings. They didn't have anything to do with that. They can't take credit for God's plan. And uh, God has many ways, I think, that he can achieve his ends. He has a goal in, in mind. And, uh, of course, his wisdom determines this as he uh, is able to accomplishment, uh, to make accomplishment. Um, vast depth uh, of wisdom. You can think of your Romans 33... 1133, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and the paths beyond tracing out. God has a double knowledge from our point of view. He, he knows his own power in himself. He knows it, it, it's, he's all-powerful. You know, he knows what he can do. 
and he knows all possible beings in any part of his creation. So God knows his decree, knows all future things, and it's because he knows it because he decreed it. Anyway, why don't we uh, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to share some of these things that actually turn into mystery real quick. Uh, we can only go so far. Help us from going too far, but help us as we delve into this because it is about what you do and it's about your character and your nature. So we want to take it as far as what Scripture gives and what the Holy Spirit can teach us, but we don't want to take it any further than that. Uh, but thank you for revealing some deep things that uh, you've given. And so direct us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been looking at a lot of Scripture, let's, uh, let's first look at this uh, um, Westminster Confession. Or actually, yeah, this is the Westminster Confession this time. some reason, I could not find the colonial congregation. It just zapped out and it's not in my system anymore so I'm going to have to download it again it's uh, it's very close uh, Zach has basically he just kind of reworded some things um, and it's very helpful actually what he did anyway uh, I tried to get this up to a little bit bigger print on this version it looks really all out of whack but on the other side of this uh, is uh, some uh, another part to it so that's the reason why it's separated the way it is God, let's say this all together God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away. Now a lot of those we kind of have talked about as we kind of introduced this uh, along the same lines. And what we're doing here is we're getting to this part how great God is uh, and that this triune being is relating to us when we start talking about the, the decrees. I think it's just magnificent. I think you see the excellencies of God here, uh, God in relating to us. Um, Christianity believes in two different destinations. Christianity believes in, in that some will live forever and others will be damned forever. Uh, all Christians believe that. Anybody that, who denies hell, um, boy, of course, John Stott and there's been some others. I wouldn't call him a non-Christian. But, uh, you know, some people teeter when they start denying the aspect of hell. We know biblically um, too many passages dealing with uh, the fact that there is a hell. Um, of course, that is going to be stated through this all throughout scripture whatever comes to pass god has ordained that's that's the anything that comes to pass is ordained we're talking everything there's no thing to god as an accident we, now we call things accidents a car accident and such but to god nothing is an accident it, and if it were he would say "Ooh, wow i didn't know about that you know now we've, we have a less of a god now we really have a problem if he doesn't decree all things if he if he's not as we go through this that hopefully it'll be help if he's lord god omnipotent who reigns uh, if he didn't have something to do with everything 
that comes to pass? I mean, you know, if there's anything of which he has no control, which he cannot have ordained, uh, then I think we have a different idea of who God is. And, and I think it even denies the existence of God. Because just God himself means that's how powerful he is. And at the same time, uh, even that there is, you know, nothing comes to pass without God being ordaining it. And at the same time, he never does violence to the human responsibility. Never does violence to man as far as the decisions they make. He's never reduced us to machines. Or what do people say a lot of times? Well, that makes God a puppet. um, We're a puppet of God. Sorry there. Right. A a lot of people would like to make God a puppet, wouldn't they? (laughs) And sometimes... Sometimes we'd like to do that, right? We'd like to control what God God says, but or does. If God asks uh, me, uh, that's <laughs> God does not destroy the human will and responsibility. It's there, um, even though the scene they, those two seem to be at opposites. They're not at all. Uh, and with an infinite mind of God, why would anybody uh, want to differ with that? Uh, why cannot God be absolutely sovereign? and do whatever he pleases, and at the same time um, not reduce me just to a puppet. Um, I'm convinced that what, what I'm saying to you at this very moment, r- even right now, this, at this particular moment in time, I have been ordained from all eternity to do what I do, what we're doing right here. I said, boy, that's going a little far, isn't it, Dennis? At the same time, I'm utterly confident in saying that it still comes out of my own independent thinking that comes from the Word of God. Okay, not just my own thinking, but it's it's not God putting something in me and it's like an automatic writing or an automatic speaking. Um, that be not that way at all. Nobody's moving the mouth of Dennis Helton, but Dennis, um, I tap on that right there. I chose to do that. Did God make me make me do that? No. I chose that. But he knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> What's that? He decreed. He decreed. <laughs> I think, uh, I think like getting into topics like this, I think uh, if it's uh, kind of like mind-boggling for the yeah. believer, the faithful believer, how it much is. more would it be for the non-devout, you know, those who have no faith, those who believe not in the Word of God? Like it would be ten times hard for them because, like you guys said, it, it almost seems like we're puppets on his strings, and like it almost makes him seem like, uh, like ooh, you know, a bad god. You know, yeah. how dare you, you know, ordain all these things and not intervene? You know, how dare you? But uh, as believers, we I think we've been blessed enough to be able to see past that. But I wouldn't get into like this kind of discussion with non-believers. No. Yeah. When, no. They, when they ask about the Trinity, it's already confusing enough. But <laughs> I'm like, you know, let's not worry about that. Let's just step back and worry about something you can understand, not lacking your intelligence. But that's confusing you for believers, so. It, it, and this this is true. We're we're tackling some things that are very deep, and it's not that these are not biblical. These are biblical things. Uh, we just read just a few scriptures. I, mean, I have so many more to go through, and I don't even know if we'll have enough time. But uh, what you're saying is right. We have to be very careful with this. John Calvin, uh, whenever he talked about these issues, said, you know, is and it's like we don't want to go beyond the line. We don't want to go over the limits that God has given us. 
So I have to be careful. And like I say, it's been confusing to me as I've been just studying and reading on this just to refresh over the course of years I've looked at this and not, you know, you go back over it and uh, it is mind-boggling. But it is interesting to see how much God has revealed that we can understand, but we really have to dig in for it. It's like if you want the jewels, you want the diamonds, you have to go deep into the mines to get that, but it is rewarding. By the way, it's the most comforting doctrine that you can have when you speak of the sovereignty of God, uh, election, and uh, foreordaining and foreknowing, knowing that he is in complete complete control. All Christians will say, God sits on the throne. How many times did you hear that last week whenever... Um, people were getting ready to vote, you know, and uh, the church all over. Were, they, they were ultimately saying, well, you know what? No matter what happens, God is still on the throne. And that's true. You know, a, a true Christian believes that. And that's, that's a must to know that, yeah, he is in total control. But at the same time, he doesn't violate our will. That seems to bother people that he would come in and make us do things. And uh, I, I like what Gerstner uh, called it. He says it's like an optical illusion. Um, I can't draw a picture of it, but just because I can't draw a picture of it doesn't mean that it's untrue. I can't tell you fully what all this means. I cannot put those two together. It's his free will. At the same time, uh, I'm also responsible and my actions that I do are still of my own. Um, and it's it's an incredible thought. But that reminds you of Isaiah 40, 13. Yes? I wonder if we're meant to. Oh, I don't think we're supposed to understand it. And it. I think we're to believe it and to accept it because God said this is the way it is. And to say that we could understand that, I almost think we'd be lying. <laughs> With these finite minds, right? Well, what you're saying is Isaiah 40, uh, verse 13. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, has taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? It's like we didn't have any part of that, and we how much of this can we grasp? It, It is way over beyond what a finite mind can do. And that's why it should give us a higher view of God every time that we think of this. It just expands and expands. And now we, don't, we can't limit him. You know, it just, it, he just keeps getting bigger in that sense in our minds. But um, he, he is influenced by no external causes whatsoever. Nothing. There's also, um, I think, even when we as Christians like struggle to understand a doctrine like, you know, the doctrines of grace are, are difficult. Um, I think that even, even those who choose to reject that notion, they don't do so completely. They're still inconsistent. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they would ask you, hey, can you pray for this person? I want this person to become a Christian. And so by asking a question like that, what you're really showing is that deep down you know that God is sovereign and God can turn someone's heart. Because I've heard the stories of of, uh, children pointing out to a Sunday school teacher, like, hey, but if you don't believe, if you don't believe that God can violate someone's will or if you don't believe that God 
will act in a supernatural way in someone. Uh, why would you pray for them? And that Sunday school teacher said, okay, we won't pray anymore. And they never did again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't pray for people here. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yet that's now the very means. <laughs> it, really it, in one you. sense, humanly, it says, okay, well, why God's going to do his thing. But in another sense, Scripture says, do this. And that's the means that he uses to get to his end. Why would he use people? This is incredible that he would use us in his great plan. That, that's the love of God. Yeah, that reminds me, like, when you're saying, why would he use us? Um, that takes me all the way back to Adam and Eve when God created Adam and gave him a purpose, gave him a job, gave him a task. And then he made Eve to help him and to assist him and to love him and for him to love her. And then when you, when, when you kind of think of it as that, it's almost like God created a man, not a child, a man. And he gave this man a job. So it was almost like employee, employer. There, and when you have the relationship with your boss, you know, it's not like, it's not really that great. You're like, well, if I, you never hired me, I wouldn't really know you. So it was like God allowed man to fall into sin so that man would seek God with his own heart, with the free will that man has now obtained because God ordained it. But, you know, because man didn't ever tell God no. He didn't say, no, I won't do this. No, I won't do that. There was no rebellion. And being a father myself, when my child rebels, and I discipline them, a part of me, like, is hurt that I had to discipline them. But then when I see them turn around, I feel like loving them twice as much. Like, the discipline, but then the love. The discipline, then the love. And then it's just the growth. And I think, uh, I think that's why man kind of fell into sin, also to put him into sin as well. Know, when God created all things. Um, and just that kind of reminds me when you said, you know, why would he create us? Because of that, you know, this accountable thing. So, I, yeah. was, I was going to, on that note, uh, is there, there's that word autonomy. Are, are human beings autonomous? Do they have their own autonomy, which is like their own volition, wills, yeah, they do, and and left in the state that they are in, that fallen state, they will continue to choose to do things against God. They will rebel. That's what. So they're autonomous in that way, but yet at the same time, uh, who is their master? That they, they everybody serves somebody, right? Either you save Christ, serve Christ, or you serve the devil. You serve sin. But even even the devil is. brought into the courts of you know, the Lord. Uh, exactly. He is not anywhere equal right. with God. He's a created being that God could put out in a moment's time. Right. Um. The story, I think, of along those lines is, is from Esther, the book of Esther, where there was the decree that the Jews were going to be destroyed. And so... Esther's, was it her uncle, Mordecai? Mm-hmm. Um, he was, he told Esther that she needed to go in and talk to the king in order to save the Jews. That says, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. 
for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Yeah. It was her job to do that, but if she was going to refuse to do it, it'd be done, because that's what God had in mind to be done. But And right. she shouldn't think that she would escape from being destroyed if she didn't. Good example. I love that example. That's a great example. That, that helps me understand it better. Well, Jonah is, is another one. Jonah kept rebelling and turning away from God, running away from everything, and, and still yet he did what God wanted. And he, when it was all over, he still didn't like what he did. And Joseph. Yeah, that's a great good story there. Perfect story there, yeah. Those, those examples that were in the Old Testament, which are real, are, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, deals with they were for our learning, for our example, and but yet at the same time it really happened. We can identify with that. Uh, that's amazing that she was just chosen out of all people, all the Jewish women, and was and was her and at that particular time. And she knew that she could face death. Nobody goes to the king to talk to him, huh? especially. You know, she wouldn't have had a chance. Took great wisdom how she even did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she just didn't run in there. She did that. She worked up. She worked up to it. Everything separate. Yeah. Acts four twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Um, for truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. That's amazing. That's, that sounds like our Acts 2 that we did earlier. Uh, Acts 2.23. Um, they came and counseled against Jesus, this, you know, the one who had been anointed by God mentions Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. That is incredible. Um, of course, he, his purpose is unchanging. Uh, you have to think of Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Anyway, those are a few of the verses. And he never makes people sin. James 1.13 mentions that. He does not tempt them. Um, anyway, let's go on to the second one in the confession. This is a little shorter one. Although God knows... Uh, wait, before, can you like that bottom scroll bar? Can you like take it over? Uh, yeah, um... Tell you what, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. I need a mouse. And when it gets to this kind of thing, I'm not so sure. I can take it down, but I can't take it over. Do you know how to do that? No, I would take it. And I'd take it totally out. Okay. Yeah, it does, that doesn't drag for me good. All right. That's You're a little, a pro, bit, man. That's a little better. That's good. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass... 
<laughs> Yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw that which would come to pass upon such conditions. I think we had this one for Sunday. And, and it's dealing with um, anything that he decrees. Um, and it says here, he hath not decreed anything because he foresaw it. It's not because he foresaw it ahead of time and now he decrees it. He makes a plan because, oh, I see this. No, it's because he decreed it that he's able to foreknow it. And that's the way the Westminster Confession is saying there. God did nothing but decree what he foresaw would come to pass. Somebody else is running the universe if that be the case, right? That'd be the idea. It's because he decrees that he foreknows. The foreseeing is based on decreeing. That's why this whole subject of decreeing is so important. Look at Romans 9.11. This is Jacob and Esau. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Not because of works, because of him who calls. So he didn't choose Jacob because he saw he was going to do something good, that he would choose God, that he would choose to do the things of God, but it was entirely of God himself. It wasn't about anything doing good, no actions, but God's purpose according to his choice would stand. It's because of him who calls. That's rather enlightening, isn't it? So wouldn't that verse, uh, God being able for the foundation <laughs> of the earth and into this? So it'd be like you every turn your head before the foundations of the earth. That means that it's not just me or you, but every single body. That means that every situation before it all took place. Everything. <laughs> you're right. And you used a super example, which I was going to say later on. You're right there. You're right there on it. And. You, you said he knows every hair that's on our head and, and when it falls or the sparrow that falls. He knows all that. I mean, you can take it to the nth degree. There's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that he has not been a part of. That's the king. <laughs> that's the one who I want. This guy is powerful, right? This, this guy. Um, anyway... Um, Let's see if we can get to this this next one here. Hey, we're we're moving through. Don't start bragging. <laughs> hey, can I ask you a question? Go right ahead there. It might get unnecessarily theological, so please let me know after I ask. <laughs> but um, is there any way that you can clarify the differences between supralapsarianism and <laughs> I, knew, I knew we were going to get into that. Well, you have, uh, okay, and I tell you what, I am not going to favor, favor either one here. I will tell you the definitions, and um, we can go from there uh, in your thinking. And, and you can go home and um, be thinking about that, and don't be driving while you're thinking <laughs> this. Um, and, and you may not get to sleep, or it just <laughs> might get you to sleep. Um, infralapsarianism deals with the fall. And in that kind of view, God had, and this is speculation, and uh, th these camps come in the Reformed view. They, you're not going to find this in the Arminians. <laughs> but infralapsarianism is going to be dealing with 
God decreed the fall and then elected after that. He elected who was going to... The, the idea is this, um, and, and we're going right to that, that point. Um, when you have people who are all going to hell, right? I mean, this, you know, Spurgeon put it this way, you know, they're a mass of people, all people, right? All of sin comes short of the glory of God. They're all dead spiritually. And this is the way that uh, this is kind of seen in that, in that sense. And out of that mass of people who are all sinners and all destined to go to hell, God picks some out of that. And somebody would say, why didn't he pick them all? Because he didn't. It, it was not his plan. It was not his purpose. He could have. He didn't. Because he wants to show his justice, and at the same time, he wants to show his mercy. He could have saved some. He could have let all of them go to hell, or he could have saved them all. But as far as God, with his wisdom, did the perfect plan, and there's absolutely zilch wrong with it. So, infralapsarianism is dealing with God had decreed the fall and then it's like if you want to put it in a, a logical sequence after that and how, how do you do that but after that then he picks some out of that because of, because of that um, it, uh, supralapsarianism is dealing with before um, what you have there he had election at, that he decreed first and then the fall happens. And there are many that believe in that too. Uh, the way the Westminster Confession goes and the way that Gerstner said it and the way that it's worded there, he said uh, these people tend to favor infralapsarianism. And uh, many of your Calvinists will... Infralapsarianism. So if you look at the way the Westminster Confession is, at least the way that he's, he, had, he had mentioned it, uh, that's the way it would be. Now this is really getting into some really... It sounds like... Plan A started, it didn't quite happen, uh, it didn't go on very long, and then Plan B had to be enacted. You're talking about what seminary professors with two or three doctor's degrees around for coffee and discusses (laughs) and argues about, which is not really all that relevant to you and me living today. Right. Right. I mean, the professors have been arguing about this for hundreds of years. And nobody ever wins. And they still have to a definite degree. And I don't think we'll, we'll probably ever know, at least on, on this side. And uh, the thing is, that's like the age-old question that comes up to, like, well, uh, where did sin come from? You know, and of course, getting into that, I think we might have some answers that help that a little bit, but how far do we take it? But so I, you know, I can see why, you know, that question would come up and you use those. And of course, um, uh, the, logically, that's what you're thinking of, of where, where we're at here, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> about the fall and such. But well, uh, my, my, my question to that would be was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's all, yeah, definitely all. Was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, or was he? You know? I'm sure it was. Yeah. Can be. 
because that's that's the ultimate purpose of history is look to Christ and see the Lamb that was slain from the foundation, not before the foundation, from the Yeah, I think of Second um, Timothy one nine says, "Who has saved us and called us with a holy ca- calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity." Um, if, if you take those views, it's still dealing with before, you know, before the the foundation of the world. So, like I say, we you know it's one of those kind of things we could discuss and discuss and it's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, but it's fascinating. It's but you can only go so far. Did, so, did that uh, that help us any or confuse yeah, us more? I, I just I right. I thought it was that, but someone confused me by telling me that in prolapsarianism, the difference between the two was whether God elected all babies to be saved or some babies. And I was really confused because I, I was thinking I don't, I don't think that that's the definition is, but maybe. I guess it could come into play, but that's not the classical definition right. of either one of those terms. I mean, it could be part of it, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen that in the discussion. Of course, a lot of things. Again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know. Anyway, don't want to. I don't want to cloud it up any more than probably what it is, but. Um, <laughs> Because I sure I I can't go any further than that on my, my thoughts. Um, this next one, uh, let's read this. I, boy, Mick, I might need you again here. I don't know how you do that. You go. Oh, all right. Look at that. By the decree of God, for the manifestation of His glory, some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. And this is called double predestination. There it is, folks. We are getting into some really heavy stuff. But this is what they gain out of looking at the scriptures and then trying to put it in a, in a way that can be understood. If this is the most difficult section on, on God's decree. Some are predestinated to uh, eternal life. Others are ordained for eternal death. Uh, you notice the difference between predestinate and ordain that, that, the, that the writers put on this. Uh, what the divines had in mind here, that men are a mass of perishing people. And what we were talking about, these people are already dead in their sin. They're going their own way. They choose to sin because they are sinners. They choose to sin. They choose to rebel. Judas went to his own place, but yet it was determined that he would do what he did. How do you explain that, right? Um, God has no obligation to anybody. He doesn't owe anything to anybody. He doesn't even owe an explanation here. Um, but the, the obligation that he has, if anything, would be to condemn them all because of his justice. 
the wages of sin is death. And uh, there was another side to that too. He has an obligation to save me because he chose me before, before the foundation. foundation. Right. Well, he has to save me. He's right. Well, that's what, that. that's right. That's where we're heading. But. But he, if you want to go back before, <laughs> here we go, our minds. Before the before. We would all, if it wouldn't have been for that plan, we should all go to hell. And, and um, so, but if he chose to pay the price for none, his justice and his sovereignty would be praised. God would praise himself. If he chose to pay the price for the sin for some of them, his justice and mercy are praised. He passes by by withholding his grace and mercy. God chose to have uh, mercy on Jacob, no mercy on Esau. That's what Romans 9 says. No obligation to have mercy on uh, either one of them, actually, but he actually did. But, of course, if he'd already chosen Jacob, which he did, <laughs> then he's going to do what he already said he's going to do. Uh, God does pass by those, and that's kind of the way that the uh, the confession runs. He he passes uh, by and lets them remain in their sin. He doesn't give saving grace to everyone, and that's what a lot of people would like. It's called universalism. Uh, eventually, somehow, God is going to have everybody come into heaven, and uh, that that is never taught. And Matthew twenty five forty one talks about. Uh, eternal punishment. Uh, you look at Romans 9.22. Uh, there we go back to Romans 9. Um, but a very significant chapter, and this is a chapter where <laughs> um, many will say that uh, I won't ever touch that chapter. It's just too controversial. Uh, well, you have to. It's there. 9.22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as he says, also in Hosea. Anyway, uh, what he had prophesied there. Uh, Ephesians 1, 5 um, of course, that, that is pretty e expressed, isn't it? There you have people that are chosen uh, because he wants to put mercy on, and others, um, they're held responsible for their own sin, but yet um, they will go to the place of destruction. Um, Ephesians 1, 5, we probably read this earlier or close to it, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, uh, his good pleasure, his decree, right? Uh, Matthew eleven twenty five. I've always uh, liked this verse here that Jesus speaks about. You know, a lot of people say, well, Paul and his theology, it gets above our heads and we get into predestination. We shouldn't even really go there. What did Jesus have to say about it? Well, he had a lot to say about election and predestination and hell and heaven. Um, Matthew, what is it, 11.25? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. So, uh, there we go. It's uh, rather difficult passages, but when you see them in light of uh, where they're at and what they're about, then it's, I think it really uh, amplifies who God is. Look in 1 Peter 2.8. This is a rather disturbing verse if one doesn't know how God works. 1 Peter 2.8. Talking about, you know, uh, the, the ones who reject the stone. Uh, verse 7, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Are you ready? For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed rather enlightening, isn't it? Double predestination. Yes, it is there. And I know a lot of Calvinists say they don't like to even use that word. Uh, You don't see the word double predestination in the Bible, but we've seen here where God chooses some, others are going to be punished. But it's still, it goes back to them rejecting Christ and their own responsibility. But if they're not chosen, they still can't choose God. Nobody can choose God on their own. Um, you know, this topic, it, uh, it's still, when, when thinking about how God ordains all these things beforehand and how basically every decision we make was, you know, predetermined. But, you know, there's the whole, there's like, wow, God is merciful. Because if, if He knew me in the beginning and I didn't know I didn't know anything. I didn't. I didn't ever think growing up I'd ever come to know Christ. He could have left me there like that until the day I died. I could have. I could end up in hell because he decided that's where I should be. Like so, the grace of God, just the mercy and His compassion, and that just makes me feel loved. It makes me feel wanted. It makes me like. Like humble myself because I'm like, like you're a merciful God. Because looking back, I don't see now today when I my actions. Sometimes I don't think you know, because I think in I think in the now you know I'm, I'm not I don't have his thoughts. So because he's above us, I mean he's above our thinking. But I don't ever think oh these actions are ordained by God because that would just drive me crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't do anything. Absolutely. I would think, think, oh, well, maybe these actions are ordained by God as well. (laughs) You know, they're doing nothing, they're doing something. You know, it's all vanity, right? Um, But I look back in my life and I say, wow, God really was there. He moved me in in this direction. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm consciously aware of it, you know, there's a future ahead that, you know, I don't know what's going to take place, but I know that whatever happens is because God ordains it. And so I don't think of, you know, 
I don't try to think of, you know, how God ordains all things. But I just think about how he is ordaining them in my life and how he did then. And I'm hoping how he does in the future, you know, I'll be, I know I'll be ready for it because he won't give me what I can't handle, you know. Well, Vel, what, what you just said there is what this doctrine should do. That's what it does. All of a sudden, it's like a load is taken off of us, and we fall into the hands of this great God. It gives us super comfort knowing that. And, and, and you said it well, too, because everything that we do, oh, did God ordain me? We're not to do that. Remember, we are free creatures in that sense. As we have become now, we, we make decisions you know, daily, and, but ours is that we would honor God but every little thing, it's, it's still our own actions, but yet God is in on it. And that's why as we pray always, as we think about God constantly, that's the idea, then we see that he is in everything and he, he's there. It's protection, I mean, it, 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 direction, guidance, all of that. That's what we want. And that's what a Christian does. They see now that I'm so grateful that he is doing this for me and for other Christians. And it drives us to our knees. It humbles us. And yet at the same time, we get great joy. I can't think of a better joyous doctrine than God over all sovereign. It's also security. Absolutely. Because then you know whatever comes in front of you for the rest of your life, that he is there and is what he's wanting it to happen no matter maybe our human minds, we really don't have any ability to understand why he's doing it in that way. But that comfort is still there. That's that assurance of then who he is and how powerful he is. That's right. Um, wow. Well. I always think of, uh, you, you mentioned how thinking about this makes you think about the mercy of God. Yeah. Well, this verse has always stuck out to me, and it's just one sentence, and it goes at the end of Romans 11, verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. And I don't know whether or not I have the context right, but uh, it sounds like we have nothing to be proud of when, when we get to say, oh, I'm a vessel of mercy. No, you were a vessel of destruction prior to your uh, saving grace of God. So... So the idea is like God has shut up all to all in disobedience. As this is another version that I have, and it's like we can't speak uh, to any of our own attribute for for a, a shining glimmer of you know, glory to our own selves. It's, it's all to God, and and the idea I think tonight that we're talking about is whether. Because he can either be Lord of all things Christianity, and that sounds like sort of the verses where we've been going to, or he's the Lord of all, as, as Scripture really tell, <laughs> tells it. Um, that's what I keep thinking about. Because uh, his, his, his sphere of power doesn't just stop within the Christian realm. It's, it's over every square footage of the universe. Right. That's right, and that's the whole idea of all this this study that we're we're doing. Um, it we should have such uh, a 
bigger and bigger view of God constantly as we look at his word and realize uh, that he would even take the, the time, and he's not bound by time, to, to deal with us and give us this mercy that you guys are talking about. And yet people would say, yeah, but he looks down through the corridors of time, and, and he chooses us because we choose him. That goes against the grain of what all these scriptures that we've been dealing with. You didn't have capabilities. Yeah, and who gets the glory out of that? Well, man gets some there now. Yeah, he saved me, but I chose him. I, at least I did this. No, you, you didn't do anything. Ephesians 2 says you're what? You're dead in your sins. And this is where Gerstner comes in and says, it's interesting that they didn't put the depravity of man in there before these things. You see what, you, why he was saying that? We haven't gotten to that till we get to part six. We're in only th- three here. There, there's also, uh, I was thinking of, one time, Shasta and I went out to uh, dinner with our friends, and we it was after a sermon at the crossing where they spoke about predestination. And she tells me, she said to me how much she loves the church, I like it, uh, but I can't stand the doctrine of predestination. Hmm. I just can't do it. And so I tell her, I, I, something along the lines of like, I think you're looking at it the wrong way. Think about the fact that God, out of all these people look around you there's we're in a restaurant full of people out of all all these people he chose you and she had this moment where she's like but that can't be I'm too unworthy (laughs) 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 and I'm like and I started laughing and looking at Shasta and I'm like look she's worshiping God right now (laughs) she's like I'm too unworthy I don't deserve it (laughs) Yeah, it, it knocks you down to the ground, yeah. and then, then, but then he picks you up. I had up to do something. It's kind of it's the always idea. there. That that's the Arminianism that's always there. I, I have there's something that we do, and it's not. After that, yeah, we choose to. We desire to be holy. We we don't want to sin. We want to do the right things. And that's where sanctification does come in. Now we do have the free will to do the right things because God has put it into us. Before, yeah, they have free will to continue on in the bondage of sin to make wrong decisions until if Christ comes to them and changes their heart. Yeah, but... That that's so true. It, it's it hurts people to think that that would God would be that way, yeah. and and that's a natural tendency. Though we all have a tendency to go back that way. Not anymore. If you've learned this, you, 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 I mean, in the sense that you know God is so so good in, in all this. But at first, boy, it it blasted me. I, I took offense at it a little bit. Because what it always hits the flesh. That's the whole thing. It always mm-hmm. hits the flesh. Sure does. Surely I did something. Um, just to finish up with, we'll, we'll do that number four there, and, and we'll make it real quick. These angels and men, thus predestinated and foreordained, and un, are uncha- unchangeably designed, and their numbers so certain and definite that they be either increased or diminished. That means. If God foreknows, and he does, who will believe that the number of each one who believes and the one who doesn't believe, it's absolutely fixed. There is no possibility that it will be increased or decreased. Like his sovereign love. 
that his number is set, isn't it? And go right ahead. Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations. That means everyone will get the opportunity to, to be called or not called. Right. And, then, and listen to what the great result of that is. Then the end shall come. There won't be no more need for any preaching of the gospel. All of those that are going to be saved are saved. All those that are still there are not going to be saved. There's no hope for them being saved after this. Everybody wants to know, when's the end coming? Well, right, I can tell. <laughs> right there. When the last person on earth that's going to be saved is saved, the end will come. Bingo. So what should be our job? Go out and evangelize and preach the gospel. Maybe you're preaching to the last one that's going to be saved, and then the end will come. And that will happen. But we don't know when that is. But just keep on doing it, right? That's right. That's it. And that's because there's a certain number. When that number's reached, it's over. That's right. Um, every every hair, every sparrow that we talked about, the most minute events that seem like nothing to us, God, uh, it, it's significant to Him. The most insignificant. Second uh, Timothy 2.19 might kind of go along with what you had. I think what you read there was probably even better there, Eldon. But Second uh, Timothy 2.19, um, and it's it's really time to close. But nevertheless, the firm foundation, a firm foundation, get that, of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is abstained from wickedness. <laughs> Uh, he, he knows that this is a firm foundation. You, it, it's set on it. Um, I think there's even one, John 13, 18. I would just go on and on and on. Uh, this is speaking of, of um, Judas. Uh, he's washing the disciples' feet and such. It says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that scripture that may be fulfilled. And then he's speaking of Judas. He who eats my bread is lifted up his heel against me. He says, I know the ones I've chosen, chosen before the foundation of the world. <laughs> and yet there was one that was not. Anyway, um, why don't we stop there? We're, we're just going to have to pick this up and not, not just uh, leave off with this. And we'll go into this and then the next one that uh, we'll be dealing with uh, next week possibly. Or we might just get as far as... We're right there. Anyway, heavy stuff. Thanks for staying with it on that. Uh, it's not anything new to, to all of you guys, but at the same time, uh, it's something that has been etched in since Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus spoke of it. The apostles spoke of it. Uh, Augustine spoke of it. And then during the Reformation, the Luthers, the Calvins, the Zwinglies, and... Uh, Biza and, and uh, on and on, John Knox and all throughout church history up to present time. This theology, whether they mention this Westminster Confession or not, they would, be, they would be in agreement with these things that we're talking about, these things about who God is. So anyway, I uh, hope, uh, hope that's hopeful and not something that has created confusion, but it's definitely worth uh, thinking about it. it uh, uh, I was... Just thinking about the sense of other comfort that it gives us. 
Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your great truths, and uh, we know they're far beyond any human mind that can even, even think. But yet even the youngest, even the simplest of minds can understand that um, Jesus saves them from their sin. And Lord, thank you for opening our minds to be able to know you. Thank you for getting just a little bit more of a, a deeper thought into this, but it always comes to the conclusion that you are absolutely Lord over all of creation and everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Till next time.